episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be reviewing the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57 took place this past weekend. We're going to be giving an in-depth analysis of just what went on in the game. Also looking at the second weekend in the Darts Premier League, the second weekend of the Six Nations, the review of Kempe's Combat Corner, the very debut took place last week as well. We'll also be looking at how Tina got on with the listener lock-in. And of course, the Premier League title race begins to heat up. Joining me to go through it, we have no skin this week, which means the introductions should have no interruption. So I'm going to start by uh, speaking to yourself. Sam, how are you feeling? I know uh, we were both in a tough situation at Super Bowl last night with our bets just missing out. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. That's a solemn, solemn night at the, the Super Bowl, especially for our boy Mudge. Obviously, Eagles... Uh, Eagles suffering the loss, but yeah, the bet, bets, neither of our bets come in, which is uh, yeah, not ideal to say the least. But there we go, we, we battle on, and uh, here we are recording the uh, the Tuesday release. How are you, mate? I'm I'm all right, thank you. I've had the nice day off work, so I've been able to just catch up on uh, some sleep, ready to go at it again tomorrow, which uh, I'm sure I'll regret and want to have wished that I'd booked the entire week off instead of just the day. Always. But when does that not happen? Uh, joining us also is Kemp. Kemp, you played American football alongside me yesterday. How are your legs aching from that? Oh, mate, I'm badly. <laughs> I am badly. I'm I'm on the wrong side of 25 to be doing stuff like that these days. But yeah, Mr. White, man with the mic, how are we both doing this evening? Are we good? We're good, mate. We're good. It's episode 30. 30. 30. I feel like we've come a long way. Yeah, you know when you get to... Well, I don't know when you get to 30. I'm not quite there yet. But when you get to 30, I imagine it's quite a maturing experience. Like, right, I'm a proper adult now. It is, mate. It is. And that's what yeah. I feel like Loaded Sport are now. We're very, very mature. And no, I feel I like Ag were born at 30. Oh, I, yeah. Ag were born in the 30s. I think that's the problem. <laughs> I'm the Benjamin yeah. Button of this group. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but no, apart from that, mate, I'm all good. Good, great news. Uh, we do kick things off talking about the Premier League title race. Things are heating up. And I remember a month ago, we sat here and we spoke about how uh, myself and Sam thought it was going to be Man City. It's Arsenal that lifted the Premier League trophy at the end of the season. Uh, Skin thought it was going to be Man City, but he switched allegiances. And Kemp, you are still adamant that it's going to be Man City. Now, I'm going to let you have He's your coming for us, isn't he? He's coming for us. Ever since that full-time whistle went on Saturday, you've told us that you cannot wait for this moment. So go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I can't, I can't, I couldn't wait for the moment because I was starting to get a little bit worried. I'm not going to lie to you. When all the stuff's going on behind the scenes at City about the financial ir- mm. irregulations in their books and transfer fees and you know dodgy payments to Roberto Mancini directly from uh, Abu Dhabi, um, it uh, yeah, it, it started to get a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey. But since then, you know, um, they picked up a, a decent result. They looked very, very in control at the weekend. I did watch the game. I got a little bit of sleep before the um, before the Super Bowl on Sunday afternoon. But they looked in control. They looked like they weren't back at the best, but they looked as though you know they looked more reminiscent of a of a classic City um, performance, and. Don't get me wrong, Arsenal have been fantastic all season, you know, not taking anything away from them. And they could absolutely still win the, the Premier League, you know, until this weekend, they were still favourites. Um, but experience counts for a lot in my book. And 
I think a lot of Arsenal fans, I think a lot of pundits were getting very carried away and it was very, very early to be doing so. And I understand why, because City have kind of had a stranglehold on the Premier League for the past few seasons, despite a briefer interruption by Liverpool during COVID. But I can understand why people did it. But ultimately, again, there's still a very long way to go. And Arsenal last season, back end of last season, you know, they they they, they bottled it. Um, there's still a lot of those players that bottled it last season still in the Arsenal squad. Um, so that's sort of where my head was at. At some point, Arsenal were going to start looking shaky and Pep is the type of manager, the type of personality that can smell blood in the water like a shark and just go at them and uh, and catch them up fairly quickly. And obviously, Arsenal play City next. Mm, so if City huge. win that game, they're level on points. So it's that's it, isn't it? I mean, Arsenal have got a game in hand still, but you know they're level on points. So we're back to we're back to square one, essentially. So one thing one thing I will say to you on that point, <clears> where you just mentioned <throat> Pep there, um, he, 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 there's probably no one better in in the game as mm. this whole thing that's surrounding City, this, this cloud. He, you know damn well he's going to somehow use this as fuel for the play. It's, it's us against them mentality and and you Absolutely. know we're no we're not favourites. Everyone's wanting Arsenal United to win the league and I think it could it could yeah. galvanise them in this, this And that's side. what I do, and I that's do the bag it to some extent. Yeah. And that's what the advantage that like Man Mancini and to a certain degree Pellegrini had because they were still the new kids on the block, weren't they? They yeah. were still you know, or United have been winning it for years and years and years and now we want somebody new to win it, somebody fresh to win it. But you know, when teams are on top for a significant amount of time, dynasties, you know, Liverpool in the eighties, everybody hated Liverpool in the eighties yeah, because got they were target so on your head, aren't you? United in the nineties and the two thousands, everybody hated United because they were so dominant. So it puts a massive target on your back and <clears throat> City have been experiencing that. I think the vast majority of the neutrals this season have been wanting Arsenal to win it because it's someone different. Yeah. But Pep, like you say, he's, he's an expert at that. And um, yeah, he'll be, he'll probably be showing people the news stories in the media outlets and saying, you know, the, these, these shit bags are against us. Premier League wants to take everything that we've worked for. You're going to let them do that, lads. You're going to let them mm. do that. So it'll be very, very, you know, he's a very clever bloke, obviously, of course he is, but it'll be, it'll be very intelligently, um, rewiring the players and changing their psyche a little bit to, uh, to to push them on, and that's you know that's that's sort of the main reason why you know Pep is the main reason why I backed, uh, backed Man City to to win the league. But Haaland, you know, he he helps, doesn't he? But you know, not um, that's that's where we're at. I, I I do still think City will win the league. I am a little bit more confident than I was maybe a week or so ago. Um, and I'm sure we'll revisit it after the uh, the Arsenal City game, which is going to be a massive one, as you said. I think we're going to be revisiting it on quite a regular basis because I think this this Premier League season has so many more twists and turns until the conclusion of it in around about three months' time. Manchester United, as some some people are saying, have got maybe an outside shot. If Arsenal and Manchester City draw midweek, do you think that maybe opens the door a little bit better for Manchester United? Yes, Arsenal have still got a game in hand, and I think if I'm or two games in hand over United, I think actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one. Um, United are going to have to be be flawless. Basically, I think uh, yeah. there is there is still a long way to go, but they've got a lot of games in a very short space of time. Got Barcelona, so you know Thursday Barcelona, Sunday Leicester. Thursday Barcelona, Sunday Brentford, you know, the following Sunday Newcastle at home, which is a tough game. And then West Ham in the FA Cup on, on the Wednesday, 
So I think that Newcastle's cup Sunday. game, isn't it? It's cup final. Yeah, cup final, yeah, yeah. it's cup final. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's um, it's a very very difficult task for Man United, and they've not got the biggest squad in terms of squad depth. So I think they're going to struggle. I think they'll hopefully win a bit of silverware for United fans and and finish top four. And I think anybody at the start of the season, if you'd said to them, you know, United will finish top four and they'll win a they'll win a trophy, you know, especially after that that Brentford game, they'd have absolutely snatched your hand off. So yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a bridge too far. I think City and Arsenal will kind of separate themselves from the pack. Um, but fair play to United and Eric Ten Hag, and I'm sure we'll re- revisit this one as well, probably in the preview of the Carabao Cup final, because like I say, any United fan would probably have snatched your hand off at the start of the season with that one. Yeah, and I suppose it brings me on to the question that I know, Kemp, have, we've spoken about like towards the very beginning of when Loaded Sport kicked things off, we spoke about what cup competition or league you want to prioritise things in. So, Sam, I'll ask you first of all... Can I just can I just very quickly just interject <laughs> here? Because I feel like a false narrative has been built up on what I said on that podcast. I don't possibly... And I encourage everybody to go back and listen to it. <laughs> I was never saying that the Carabao Cup is more important than the league. What I was saying was, did City want to play a stronger team to make a statement against Chelsea? That's what I was saying, because Chelsea are another top team. So just before you you know make any more fake news, Jerno, I just want to get that in there before you carry on. Is that all right? As a Jerno, I feel that fake news is the approach that I should take. That's your so business, isn't it? Lifeblood, that's his bread and butter, <laughs> isn't it? Like? Yeah, yeah. Um, Continue. So, so Sam, I'll ask you first. If you're in Ten Hag's position at the moment and you see on Wednesday that Manchester City and Arsenal draw and the door's opening ever so more slightly for you to have that fair crack at winning the Premier League this year, do you prioritise that a little bit higher than maybe the cup run? Because obviously you've got to change players around in some competitions because you don't have the squad depth that Manchester City perhaps have or that to an extent Arsenal have. Where do you see the prioritise? Where do you rest a couple of those players? I'm assuming not the cup final, so do you maybe do that against Barcelona or do you risk it in the Premier League? Where no. do you sit with you? So I'm not going to give it from my point of view. I'm going to give it to you from the point of view what I think, what I've seen of Ten Hag, what I think he will do. And I think he's literally taking it game at a time. He's not prioritising any particular game further down the line. You look at his team sheets that he's been putting out against the likes of Reading in the in the FA Cup against Charlton. Every team's a really strong side. Casemiro, obviously, we're knowing that he needed that needed to avoid a booking to to miss the Arsenal game. Played the full game, got a booking. You know, so the team selection won't phase him. He will go into every single game playing his strongest possible team until he can't, I think. I think until he starts picking up injuries and he's forced his hand, he will play possibly his strongest side. You know, give or take, you know, Garnacho is going to come in here and there, Sancho's going to rotate, but you're going to see that main, probably 15 or so players that are going to be coming in and out and I can't see it changing too much. I was very surprised, I must, must admit, that Maguire and Shaw started at centre-half against Leeds at the weekend. Um, and, you know, I, I, they didn't play t- particularly bad, but I thought Leeds were probably the better side for 80 minutes of that game and just fell asleep for the last 10 and they got punished. But, no, I think I think he'll just take every game as uh, every game as an individual game. He's not going to look further down the line. I think he's just going to play his strongest side every single time. Yeah, I think you're spot on, and and I don't, and I think it's for the reason that he wants to build a winning culture and a winning mentality. Yeah. 
I don't think he's thinking, right, I want to finish top four or I want to win the Europa League or I want to win the the Carabao Cup. I think he's just thinking, right, game at a time, who've I got fit, who've I got available? I don't even think he's thinking about the next fixture. No, and it's not so. because it's bad management or anything like that. I think it's just because he wants to just build such a, a winning culture and a winning mentality. And it's like it's almost like a messaging season. It's yeah. almost like a season where it's a free hit. Nobody expected them to do as well as they're doing, but it's nice that they are. And he's saying, right, you know, if you play well and you do the right things, you know, and if you, and you don't break the the rules like Rashford did when he got dropped for that game and came on and scored, uh, yeah. scored the goals. But if you do the right things and you work hard and you and you follow my rules because I'm the gaffer, I'm in charge, which has been sorely lacking at Man United for the past few years, then you'll get game time and you'll get played and you'll play in these competitions and you'll play again in the Carabao Cup and. You know, I don't think like Sam's hit the nail on the head. He's prioritising anything in particular. I think he's just thinking, right, what's the best team, most fit team, the most able team to go out and win this game on the weekend? And ultimately, it's also going to give him a good idea as to who wants to keep for the next se- next season. Because exactly. to carry on how they are, you know, you've, you've got to think that they're in they're in the title race next season if they add well. So, yeah, Sam, you've hit the nail on the head there. I completely agree. I don't think he's prioritising anything in particular. I think he's just thinking, I want to build a winning mentality and I want to, I want to build a winning habit because it's a good habit to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great answers. So I'll have a look at the Arsenal-Brentford situation then because this, in my opinion, is my time to shine because how long <laughs> have I been telling you that there is something wrong with VAR. And finally, this past weekend has proven me correct. And I just want to go out there and say that whilst all this time I have been insulting the technology, the process, the way it's working, I think the answer now that I've seen, and I don't know if you guys are going to say that I may be taking a bit of a U-turn on this, is not so much the technology, but it's the utilisation, the people behind using that technology. Maybe so. That is the issue. I think is the problem. And there's been a few incidents in the Premier League this weekend that have arose to many people's attention. And if you haven't seen the highlights of the games that we're about to discuss, I implore you to look at them. And more in particular, the instances that we're going to be discussing, starting with Ivan Tony's equaliser for Brentford against Arsenal. Now, Kemp, I know you mentioned that Arsenal have dropped some points with Man City's win. It means now they're just three points behind them. And that very much is the case. This isn't going to get overturned regardless. But in a situation where VAR has been used for as long as it has now, how does one as experienced as Lee Mason is forget to draw lines on a simple offside situation and therefore miss the equalising goal that could prove pivotal in the title race? Yeah, it's um, it's unforgivable, really. Um, I, I'm slightly happy that it happened <laughs> because it's you know it's makes my predictions you know more likely to come true, but. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's not the technology. We've seen other sports where the technology works really well. Yes, there's delays in games, and yes, it's not as flowing and free-moving as it as it would be without the technology. But when you implement technology to get decisions right or to help you get decisions right, you've you've always got to make that sacrifice. And I don't, I don't mind. You know, it's it's not ideal, but I don't hate the sacrifice that you make to make to get the right decision, because ultimately the implementation of technology in the game has improved the game significantly. You're never going to get a Lampard against Germany goal again. You're never going to get, I say never, but you're very unlikely to get these situations that happen again. And as a Sheffield United fan, you know, I I should be one of the biggest hypocrite, you know, critic, you know, critics of VAR um, out of anybody, because I don't know if you remember the season that we, I think it was the first season. Yeah, Aston Villa, weren't it? 
But yeah, the Aston Villa goal where it was over the line, the goal line technology didn't work and they didn't go back to look at it at VAR. And that and your example there is a perfect example of why you're absolutely spot on in what you say. It's not the technology. The technology works fine. It's the implementation and the direction of the technology that's the problem. The issue that you've got is it's we're, we're at a halfway house. The referee's not got all the power and the VAR officials haven't got all the power. It's it's sort of a bit of a power share and a bit of a power grab. And it's just, it's a strange situation to be in. You know, what I would like to see more is A, referees mic'd up and talking to the VAR people so that you can hear what yeah. they're saying. So yeah. that they can justify it. Let rugby do it. The NFL yeah. do it. You know, they all do it. Apart from football, don't know why we don't do it. I think that's critical to, to, to making VAR better than what it is now because I believe there's a place for it in the game. It just needs to be changed. And I also think that when decisions are being made, again, there needs to be communication that we need to be able to hear. But I wouldn't be against a VAR official who looks at, you know, has a monitor, has a screen in the in the dugout why can't you be the fourth official you know the fourth official makes subs you know what else and calms people down can we have a fifth <laughs> official that holds a tablet that reviews the var as soon as it happens they're reviewing it so that it's not stockley park that's you know god knows how many miles away it's not somebody sat in a control room or a booth it needs to be in my opinion somebody at the game with a tablet um that that can see it that that seen the decision, seen the ref- the action the referee's taken, and there's a clear and consistent communication line between those two that we on the broadcast can hear. And I think that's the way that it works because, Ag, you're absolutely spot on. It's not the technology, it's the implementation of the technology that needs to change desperately. Yeah, and I think at the end of the season, if it's Manchester City that lifts the trophy, I'm not going to use any excuses or anything like that as to why I got my call of Arsenal wrong. But you could hear maybe the grumbles from Arsenal fans that will turn around and put the blame on this, just like you as a Sheffield United fan when yeah. you got relegated. Well, no, you I mean, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, I, I wouldn't blame, you know, it, it is what it is. It didn't really, you know, we, we stayed up that season. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that, you know, I'm not blaming the Sorry, fact it that we went you, down. Was it? it was Aston Villa. It's, it was somebody else that yeah, went down. They stayed up. They stayed up that it? season because, and it's one of them in it where it's like, did they stay up because of it? But you know, there's games after that where they had other opportunities. So, you know, if an Arsenal fan turns around and says, "Oh no, that Brentford goal," it's like, well, you've been eight points clear at times. We're 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 gaming on. So. I'm not quite having that because it swings and roundabouts. It's not, you know, the the big teams tend to get more decisions, but it happens to everybody. Every team suffers from bad decisions because of VAR. So if if that does happen, and I do hear Arsenal fans harking back to that, if Man City do win the league, I'm not sure I'm having that, to be honest. Okay. Another side that it did happen to, and I want your opinion on this, is they could still have a very realistic chance of breaking into the top four, considering they do have two games in hand on some of the sides around them, is Brighton. Their uh, first goal was against Crystal Palace. Theirs should have been ruled off for offside as well. Uh, That one was an error uh, from John Brooks. So I'll ask you in a minute just what you think should be the outcome of this to the referees, what what they should have to do as, as their errors have been so 
um, so, so harshly scrutinised at the moment. But for Brighton, it's a case of that, in the end, would have given them three points. Crystal Palace equalised eventually. The course of the game, some will say, would have meant that Brighton would have even missed out on a point. They're six points off of fourth place. That's Champions League football. That is huge for Brighton. They have two games in hand, so have a very... A uh, good chance of making it into the top four, so it isn't out of the question. Into for the them top as well. four, yeah, no fucking laugh, mate. The sixth at the moment, six yeah, points not, off Newcastle. Not top four, mate. No, but mathematically, Brighton aren't going to sit there and say, "Oh, we're not going to make it into the top four. It's not a big deal, are they? They're going to sit there and think there's still a chance that we can make it into the top four, aren't they? It, it will be terminology. They've got a very good chance of making it to the top four. They haven't. They haven't a very sorry. real chance. Sorry, I mean, if they win them two games in hand, they're already above Tottenham and they're in fifth place. So, and they're they're just uh, they're on level on points with Newcastle. So, I wouldn't count them out. I'd say they've got as much a chance at the moment as anybody in and around them. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'll would... agree to disagree with you on that one. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, but either way, they're going to also feel uh, feel a little bit lucky. It's gone in their favour on this occasion. But those sort of errors can easily go against sides, can't they? Like we've already seen with Arsenal. With regards to the referees, John Brooks making that error, Lee Mason making the error for Arsenal. What do you think needs to be done to the referees to ensure that these errors don't become more consistent? Well, they need, what they need doing is dropping. And when I say dropping, I mean they need temporarily banning. Not de- not demoted to a lower league because that absolutely shits on the championship in League One. And that's what regularly happens and it fucks. Kemp will tell you, being a Sheffield United fan, I'll tell you, being a Derby fan, we, we, the famous song that Derby fans always sing, shit refs, we always get shit refs. And it's because when Premier League... Uh, refs make a mistake they get chucked into lower league for a couple of games and it fucks us all right off there's obviously a reason why they're being why they're playing there in, in the first place and it's because they're making bad decisions so i completely disagree with the punishment that currently is as you know demoting them so to speak ban them for a couple of weeks with or without paying now that's you know probably will be with pay to be fair it's a bit harsh not paying them, but yeah, for me, just sit them out for a couple of weeks and maybe take, maybe, maybe put them through another some kind of crash course in refing again, and just on on the particular mistakes they've made, just run them through another quick course on it. Yeah, okay, I think that's that's a good shout just to make it's sure accountability. That the same level. It's accountability is what it is. You see it in loads of sports. You see it in MMA where refs or judges will make a really bad call. There's no accountability. It'll just be, oh, well, you had a bad day at office, you'll go again. Why should they go again? There's a lot of referees in this country that work very, very hard and toil away at the lower levels. And, you know, I'm not, no, no, no disparagement to the lower levels. You know, I've had some, what's some fantastic referees at Bramall Lane who, you know, before refereeing at Bramall Lane, they've refereed in, in National League, League Two, League One, and they're great refs. But you seem to get these referees that, Sam, you've just hit the nail on the head there, that, you know, or the, the the ref a bad game at Premier League that's demote them into Championship as if what as if it's going to be easier. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yes, the game's quicker Probably in the harder. Premier League. Yes, the game's quicker in the Premier League. It's not as easy to sometimes keep up, but some of the challenges that get put in in Championship you never seen. You haven't got your mate VAR to Premier League exactly. So it's a completely different kettle of fish. And Sam, you're absolutely spot on again. You need. Right, you've made a bad decision. You've had a really bad game there. Let's investigate it. Let's figure out what elements of the game that you, you got wrong, what elements of the game that you got right, and then, you know, on the elements of the game that you got wrong, is there a pattern? In the past three or four weeks, have you, you know, made the same mistake two or three times? Is there some additional training and support that you need? Because sometimes, you know, refs are human. They need support as yeah. well as they also need uh, criticism when it comes their way. But it's accountability. It's right. Take two weeks off. Let's give a, a ref from the championship an opportunity 
to come up and referee in your absence, right? It's not taking your job, but let's give somebody an opportunity. You have a couple of weeks off, you do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of training on the, the elements that you got wrong. And on the back of that, let's let's get you out again. Let's see how you do and let's let's go from there. There needs to be accountability to not only help these referees, but also to make sure that going forward, after these bad decisions or these bad games, that they start getting them right. Because the amount of times that you see that referees have a stinker, they'll come out after a game, they'll have completely ruined the game, they'll have changed the outcome. And then next week they'll be into, they'll be refereeing a massive game again, and it's like, well, you know, there's no there's no incentive for them to get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's a very good uh, a good argument for it. So um, we are going to now move on to the listener locking and the results from Tina having a go um, this Thursday. It will be Daniel Alton. Sam, you'll be pleased to know that's another Derby fan that's going to be joining us. We are being surrounded oy, oy. by being overrun. At the moment, yeah. <laughs> no. So uh, we need to probably. You know, three, uh, that's three on trot, isn't it? I three think so. Malloy, Tina, and, uh, and uh, yeah. now, uh, Daniel Alton. Right. Yeah. So uh, he'll be in on uh, on Thursday as the seventh person to have a go. Um, the highest score before Tina took his attempt was two. Kemp, how did he get on, and how did we get on? Well, Mister Marina was very confident. He, he backed himself to uh, to get more than two. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see we'll see now if he did or not. So I'm going to go through the locks, the scorers, and the wild cards in order, and I'm going to come to Tina at the end if that's all right, and build up the suspense if 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 that's okay with everybody. Yes, mate. So we had the OG, uh, the loaded sport OG Mudge joining us again. So we thought we'd uh, we'd pop uh, pop Mudge on this week's lock scorer and wild card predictions, and uh, pretty decent account of himself to be honest. So I'll start with the locks. So, Mr. Dawson, who uh, went with his lock as Barnsley, and they won this week. So, well done, Mr. Dawson. Good start. Uh, Aggie, after a few horrific weeks of predicting locks, scorers, wild cards, I'm happy to report, mate, that your lock came in. So, well done. Well done. Well Thank you very done. much. Well done. Good and you, Sam, steady as always. Burnley at, at, Burnley at home. Um, yeah. Burnley are, are pretty much pretty much there. I think now we're in February, me. and I think they're yeah they they've got their uh, yeah they're, they're coasting now to the Premier League, which is which is great for them. And I went with Wrexham, who won their game against Wealdstone at home. I thought they would, and thankfully they did. So unfortunately for Chesterfield, I say unfortunately for Chesterfield, but Notts County and Wrexham are um, off in the distance now. Unfortunately for you guys, so you Wrexham won their game, but you really don't give a shit. No, just, <laughs> just on the just on Ag's lock. Uh, who, who did he back again? Man City. Ah, Man City. Yeah, you see, you, you pick a boring one, Ag, and uh, they come in for you. There's, that's uh, what that's what locks are, aren't you? Just take the hit of, of it's what it's what we try to one. tell you. Just go with your safe bets. <laughs> it's all you want. Um. So yeah, we've got like I say, the the loaded, loaded sport uh, OG Mudge who went for Newcastle. And they drew, I believe, uh, which was a, a slightly did. surprising result. But mm. to be fair, they've not looked the same, I suppose, in the last few weeks. Newcastle, they've struggled. They've drawn a few games, but you know, they're still going. Last, five, last, five, last five games, drawn four, one, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's, you know, listen, they're still going really well, aren't they? I don't think they'll be, they'll be too disappointed, but it's a habit they will want to break, this drawing one. So we'll move now on to the wild cards. I think... Um, I think we're going to have to rename the wild card to the, the Tom Kemp wild card pick <laughs> uh, in in honour of me if we, if I carry on my uh, my wild card form, but we'll see. Flying. 
Um, so I'm going to come to the scorers last because, yeah, I, I, I think it's important and I think we can use that as a, as a jumping off point for a bit of a conversation. Wild cards, Dawson went Bristol City, who won their game. So well done, Mr. Dawson. Aggie, you went with West Ham, which, to be fair, you were you were pretty unfortunate with that one, mate. Um, this is a second like week. I've listened to a few people talk about that game and it seems as though West Ham were, were really in it. So we're un- unlucky with that one. Sam, you went with Brentford. Um, who did Brentford mm, play again this weekend? Arsenal, weren't it, away? Oh, yeah, that was it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, again, you were unlucky as well. You were yeah. unlucky as well there. I went with Millwall, who came in, which was great, and Mudge, a fair play to Mudge. Not only did Leicester win, but they they won with a plum. I think it was 4-1 in the end, was it? Was, yeah. So, yeah. congratulations to Mudge. Well done on that one. So, we're going to scoot back round to the, the scorer, um, skin, Mr. Dawson went with Paul Mullin, who in the National League seems seems inevitable. Ag, you went with your man again, Tuberak Pom. You've been for him a few times this season. Yeah, he's never let me down until this week. Until today, until today. <laughs> well, it's better than going with Charlie Austin, isn't it? I suppose. Uh, yeah, well, Sam, you went up. with Callum Wilson, which was a strange one because I don't even think he travelled in the end, did he? No, no. Apparently, he went even part of the match day squad. So mm. I don't know if he's been suffering from, from a, a long injury, and I've just not been aware Maybe. of it. So yeah, that's obviously a void bet there. Maybe, but void bet. So no harm, no foul. Um, I went with Eddie and Katia. I thought he was going to get. I thought Arsenal were going to win fairly comfortably and he was going to score one of the goals, but it ended up being pretty nip and tuck. So Nketiah unfortunately wasn't on the score sheet. And Mr. Sadat, big mudge, uh, went with Marcus Rashford, where, you know, again, he seems pretty inevitable this season mm-hmm. as well. And very quickly before we move on to Tina, um, Mudge went for Rashford. Rashford scored. Rashford was brought on to play up front in the past few minutes of the game. And they look like a different team. So, Sam, are you still dying on your hill that he's better coming off the left? Because he still looked pretty effective when he's up front. 100%, mate. 100% yeah. is, a, is a far better player for me when he, uh, when he come, comes from that left side and he's got, he's got someone to play off. Just, uh, mm. just quickly looking at the um, team now. I'm not sure what you're referring to there because he, he played the full 90. Yeah, no. So, I think they brought Weghorst off. And Rashford went up top. Right, got you. Right, yeah. So I see and then when there. and then when Rashford went up top, I think they scored. I think they scored twice actually when Rashford went up top. But yeah, no, fair yeah, enough. I get, fair I get, enough, I get but... what you're saying. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, no. No. I, I, I do. I mean, I, he, scored, yeah. he scored most of his goals in in this purple patches on from coming from that left. So yeah, yeah I yeah. still do think he's he's far better on that left side. But yeah, don't don't get me wrong. He's, he's, I think he's still seen pretty a stat. effective up top. <laughs> Just about, I've seen a stat today. I think he's <laughs> the most informed striker in Europe since the World Cup mm. with uh, mm. with goals. So and I don't there think. He's far behind Andy Cole, I don't think, in terms of goals scored for United. Oh, I think wow. he's pretty close from what I saw. I don't know the stat exactly, but if anybody knows the stat and wants to share it, please pop it in our community page. So moving on to the main event, the big show, Chris Marina. Um, we'll uh, we'll start with his lock. He went with Arsenal, which were, you know, as you mentioned there, Adam, during our VAR conversation, very unfortunate, but unfortunately they did not win. Uh, his scorer was Erling Haaland, who was um, moved away from the penalty spot so Riyad Mahrez could take the penalty instead. And Tina shakes his fist at the screen in, in anger where uh, Mahrez scored and Haaland unfortunately did not get on the score sheet. 
His wild card was Sheffield Wednesday, one that he actually took off me. Uh, I was going to pick that one, and I'm glad that he did because they unfortunately did not win either. Um, his next one, his score predictions started with Derby beating Wickham 3 0 away. And oh, yeah. you can tell these Derby fans have been getting excited because I think in the end it was 3 1 to Wickham, wasn't it? So 3 2. 3 2. 3 2. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, that did not quite come in. Um, as mentioned earlier, he said his wild card was Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, his his score prediction for Ipswich versus Sheffield Wednesday was two one to Wednesday. And am I right in thinking that that was one one in the end? Oh, I'm not sure. I ain't got, I ain't I got the table in front of me. Adam, I'll let you do that quick research while I just read out the last one. And the last one was Leeds versus Manchester United, where he had Manchester United running out three one winners, which. He got the, uh, the the goal cushion correct, but unfortunately, he did not get the goals, um, the, 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 the scoreline correct, and that is the name of the game. So, Mr. Marina, after being very confident from the beginning, unfortunately, ends up with a big, fat zero. Yeah, so, Ipswich Wednesday with 2-2, by the way. Yeah, 2-2. So, yeah, it's close. You know, there's a few, I think, to be fair, we've had some shocking performances and it wasn't great from Tina, but at the same time, I think it was a little bit unfortunate. Apart from that Derby one, that Wickham Derby one, he wasn't a million miles away with his predictions. So no. it's unfortunate, Tina, but that is the name of the game. It's tougher than it looks. And uh, the latest updates and scores and percentages will be on the community forum within the next day or so. Uh, from when this All releases. you need to know is that Kemp is 5-1 and one on wildcards. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Which within itself is a fantastic effort. So I'll give you as much credit as I possibly can. From someone that can't even get a lock right to someone who's 5-1 and one on wildcards. Well <laughs> fucking played. Uh, just before Thank we do you. move on to discuss uh, Kempy's combat corner in UFC 284. Kemp, um, I just want to ask you a quick question. This is directed more so to you than it is to Sam. And that is, at the time of recording this on a Monday evening, we found out earlier today... Um, Mr. Neil Warnock is coming out of retirement to be Niall the manager Warnock or of Niall Morley. Uh, well, there you go, <laughs> Neil Warnock coming out of retirement for his second spell at Huddersfield mm. Town. He's an absolute hero of yours. I just want your thoughts on him coming out of retirement to well, uh, go again. I, yeah, I don't think there's a much better appointment you can make if you're Huddersfield Town. To be honest, uh, Mr. Warnock is is an expert in keeping teams. Out of the uh, out of League One, keeping teams in the Championship did a, a perfectly good job and a very 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 good job at Rotherham doing that exact thing for the for the short period of time and that's that's what it is you know he's seventy four years of age he's not going to be signing any six year contracts but um, I think the stars aligned a little bit and even though he's announced his retirement he's, he's similar in in a lot of ways to a lot of you know, professional boxers that can't quite retire when it's probably time to. But, you know, you never lose your your, your mind for the game. He's a legend of the game. And and like you say, he's a idol of mine. And uh, yeah, I mean, Huddersfield are, what, a point off of safety yep. at this point in time. So if you're going to make the change, you make it now before the damage gets any worse. We've got a game in hand over Cardiff, who are in 21st, just above them. Um and I think Mr. Warnock will come in and, and I think he will keep them up because that is what Neil Warnock does every single time. So I'm happy to see him in the game. I'm not ridiculously surprised that he has come back into the game at 74 years of age. But um, yeah, it's always nice to see Neil Warnock on the touchline. So I'll be paying a little bit more attention to Huddersfield in the next few weeks than I probably have done before. 
And if they haven't already played at Bramall Lane this season, I'm sure you'll be doing everything you can to get a ticket to go there. Oh, I'll be absolutely there. I'll be absolutely there. I, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, they've played at Bramall Lane this season, um, but we haven't played away at Huddersfield. So That's only down that the might road. have to be my uh, my first away game of the season. <laughs> we'll you'll be, see. You'll be all 22nd right. 22nd of April. 2nd of oh, April. 22nd of April. 22nd of April. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tw- I was going to say. going to say if I can help. Towards, I thought I missed uh, one there, but yeah, 22nd of April, uh, third last game of the season, I think That's it is. correct, yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we're already up by then, so it's just a bit of a party. We'll come <laughs> Knowing Neil Warnock, if you get promoted at that point in that game, he'll come and celebrate with you after the game anyway. And you should hope so, shouldn't you? Hopefully so. Right, in just a few moments' time, we'll be back to discuss UFC 284 in the review episode of Kempe's Combat Corner. Welcome back to episode 30 of Loaded Sport. We're now looking at the debut review episode of Kemp's Combat Corner, looking at UFC 284. So, Kemp, over to you. Yes, thank you, Aggie. Welcome back to Kempe's Combat Corner. It's always a pleasure to have you boys here with me. We are going to have a chat about, well, I'm going to have a chat anyway, about UFC 284. Um, Islam Makachev, the lightweight champion of the world, defending his £155 belt against Alexander the Great Volkanovsky in Alexander Volkanovsky's hometown, uh, home country of Australia, um, and and what a show it, it turned out to be. Um, I think on the face of it, a lot of people looked at this this card and thought, yeah, the main event's pretty good, and me and Tina discussed this last week in, in Kempe's Combat Corner, um, but the rest of the, the card is, it seems like a little bit of a sleeper. But yeah, I, I watched the, the card again today for research purposes and uh, it, it didn't let me down. It was a fantastic card, some great fights, some great action. Um, and uh, and yeah, anybody who did stay up to watch it, because unfortunately I didn't. Um, I woke up for the main event, but apart from that, I uh, I was fast asleep. So um, I uh, I watched it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So it started with Jimmy Crute against Alonzo Minefield, which was a really, really strange, but a great fight that ended in a draw in the end. Um Jimmy Crute, the hometown hometown boy, started really well, but then got really hurt, tagged seriously at the end of the first round and looked like he was on his way out. And I think he was saved by the buzzer um, to a certain degree. But, you know, he, he managed to weather the storm. And then it was a very back and forth battle for the next two rounds. Jimmy Crute looking like he was, you know, uh, too spent to carry on. Alonzo Minefield looking like he was, you know, too gassed to... To, to put his foot on the gas. Um, but in the end, it was a draw. Um, I think Jimmy Crute may have edged it from what I did see. But again, I, I don't think anybody will will kick off too much with a draw. And it was a, a fantastic fight. Moving straight on to the heavyweight division. And I mentioned that this had the all the, the, the hallmarks of an absolute um, uh, barnstormer, as, as I usually say. Justin Taffer against Parker Porter. Uh, Taffer won one minute and six seconds into the very first round with a with a mean left hook that was reminiscent of Mark Hunt, his uh, fellow fellow countryman, um, and walked off with the KO. So watch this space. Is is he going to be a new contender in the heavyweight division? Moving on to welterweight and Jack Della De Madalena against Randy Brown. And I think it was a bit of a, a step out into the limelight performance from Jack Della Madalena. Um, hometown boy again, 
Um, a really good submission victory and looked pretty dominant throughout. It was in the first round, two minutes 13 into the first round and um, yeah, secured his place, hopefully, in the uh, in the welterweight rankings and in a decent position to get himself climbing up those rankings. The co-main event, which was for the interim featherweight title, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion, was fighting in the main event. So the co-main event was between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. And Yair Rodriguez has had a really, really strange career to this point. You know, looking like he's a real contender, looking like he's a real strong, um, you know, featherweight contender. And then he'd have a loss and then another, and then he'd go on a winning streak again and then have a loss. And it just seemed like at points it was never going to happen for Yair Rodriguez. But credit to him in this performance against Josh Emmett. It was a fantastic fight. And and he looked pretty dominant throughout. He got a, a decent triangle choke in the in the second round, four minutes nineteen of the second round, but again looked pretty dominant up till that point. Um, and I think that's a testament to Yair and how he's in, you know improved on his game. A lot of people earlier in his career saw him as a bit of a striking specialist, and that's what he was. He he come out with some real spinny stuff and matrix stuff that you don't usually see. Um, in MMA, but Yair Rodriguez wasn't afraid to try those techniques and, uh, and and really try new stuff in 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 the search for a win. But you know, submission off his back, a triangle choke against you know Josh Emmett, who's absolutely no slouch, eighteen and three now in the UFC, and and got the win. So fair play to Yair Rodriguez. He is the interim featherweight champion of the world, regardless of whether I think the interim featherweight title needed to be on the line. I suppose. Um, you know, Volkanovski was going to, I don't know, you know, you look at it in one respect, was Volkanovski going to win this, the main event and then move up to 155? Maybe a bit of um, pre-fight knowledge on what Volkanovski was thinking about doing before would uh, would have sufficed. But that, it sets us up for a, a good fight, Volkanovski versus Jay Rodriguez. I think Volk is, is on a bit of a different level to uh, here at the moment. But, you know, that, that loss against Islam, is that going to... Um, is that going to affect Volk? Is that going to affect his mindset? Is he going to lose a bit of confidence in that fight? Which he, he absolutely shouldn't do, but we will see for the undisputed featherweight championship of the world. We now move on to the main event. The lightweight champion of the world, Islam Makachev, against Alexander Volkanovsky. And, and what a fight this was. It, it, it certainly lived up to the billing. Um Islam Makachev looking really strong on the feet, which is not something that he's he's well well renowned for. He's, he's a Dagestani uh, wrestler and a combat sambo champion, and a lot of these guys have have wrestled in the hills of Dagestan against bears and God knows whatever else that that they let them throw at them. But you know, usually that's their specialty. Usually that's where they win fights. The amount of times you've seen Habib and Islam take people down early in fights and never give them a chance really to get into it. But Volkanovski, man, I mean. How unbelievable, you know, in this build-up to this fight, I mentioned to Tina in last week's Kempi's Combat Corner, that Volkanovski was saying that he, he could compete with, with Islam on the ground. And I sort of brushed that off to say, you know, no chance. But fair play to Volkanovski. Islam took him down a few times. He controlled him for three or four minutes. I think it was in round number four. Um, and, and I think that won the round for, for Islam. But credit to him, a lot of the time, he couldn't. Islam couldn't get him in. Um, a dominant position. He couldn't get the hooks in. He couldn't take his back. He couldn't mount him. He struggled. He struggled getting, you know, getting him in the guard position. Volkanovski, like a little pit bull terrier, every single time Islam took him down or shot for a takedown, 
you know, Volkanovski defended it really well. And if he didn't defend it really well, he, he worked his damned hardest to get back to his feet. And a lot of the time he got back to his feet in a, a pretty quick fashion. Um, I, I'm not quite sure I buy into the... It was a close fight. And obviously Islam Makachev won by unanimous decision. Um, the, the scorecards were 48-47, 48-47 and 49-46, which essentially to the non MMA fan means that Islam Makachev won three rounds and Volkanovski won two on two judges' scorecards. And on one of the judges' scorecards, Islam Makachev won four rounds and Volkanovski won one. I think that's a very, very harsh scorecard. I, I do agree with the other two judges that it was probably 48-47, 3-2 to Islam in 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 a, a far, you know a, a more simple way of doing it. But you look at it round by round. Um, Islam had two minutes of control time, or two minutes and four seconds of control time, landed um, more strikes than than Volkanovski in the first round, um, and only landed one less significant strike than than Volkanovski did, and scored one hundred percent of his takedown. So you know, round one goes to Islam for me. Round two was was close. They they both had similar control times, not not a lot, but about fifty five seconds each. Um, both landed the same amount of significant strikes and total strikes. I think you've got to give the second round to Islam for me. I think he was more, you know, they, they talk about the the judging criteria for MMA. It's, it's effective grappling, it's striking, grappling, aggression, and octagon control. For me, Islam was more aggressive in that second round. He came forward, he put it on, and and Volkanovski was, you know, did really really well, but at the same time. You know, he he was the one who was forcing the issue. He was the one who landed the takedown. Um, Volk turned it around and did get a bit of control time there, but but I think he won round two um, as well for me. Um, and then you, you you look at the back end of the fight where Volkanovski really did come on. Um, I think Volk may have won the third round. Again, it's it's very close. The second and the third were very close rounds. You know, um, Islam did land more significant strikes and one more um, uh, strike than, than than Volkanovski did. But again, you talk about that when it's difficult to separate them, that aggression, that octagon control. I think rounds two and three can be for anybody. I could easily say that Volk won round number two and Islam won round number three or vice versa. But I'm going to give this that, that round to Alex for, for me. Um, round number four was a bit of a different kettle of fish and something that I thought that, I was going to see throughout the fight and was surprised that I didn't. Um, Islam Makachev uh, took Volkanovski down and held him there for three minutes and 30 seconds. And that's what I thought was going to happen in the vast majority of the fight. So, you know, Islam won round number four for me as well. And the last round, God, Volkanovski, I mean, fair play to him. He, he did his absolute darndest to win this fight. His, his conditioning, his heart, his work rate, you know, it can't be understated. He scored a, he, he, he attempted a takedown, um, on Islam Makachev, which a lot of people don't do. He attempted two takedowns, actually, in this last round, uh, which is fair play to him. And he also got a minute and 33 seconds of control. Um, he got a knockdown as well, which, again, is, is very, very rare. You see anybody put um, Islam Makachev on his arse. But Alexander Volkanovsky did exactly that towards the end of the fight. He got him in a, a decent position Um Islam's feet were on his hips. He got him in full guard. He was peppering him with elbows and Islam was trying to make it difficult off his back. But yeah, Volkanovski ended the fight really, really well and gave him a, a really good account of himself. But, you know, one round number five, one round number three. But for me, Islam won round number one, number two, number four. And that is why he is still the lightweight champion of the world. So, 
it was a great show. It was fantastic. You know, the, the Australian crowd have got to get a mention because they were unbelievable. They backed their boy to the absolute hilt, which is what we all expected. And it's something that you, you definitely see on foreign and, and abroad UFC shows when it's not just in Vegas. And a lot of the time it's neutral. Um, you know, they, they were absolutely white hot for Volkanovski and he did his country proud. Not a lot of people gave him... Uh, not 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 a chance because Volkanovski was pound for pound number one, but the deficiencies in Volkanovski, I didn't personally see a pass to victory for him, but he did way better than I thought he would. So all credit to Alexander Volkanovski, he's still the featherweight champion of the world, and he will go on to defend against Jair Rodriguez, and I'm sure Islam Makachev will move on to defend his lightweight title, and will we see a rematch down the road? Who knows? But next UFC... Uh, sort of numbered event is is the return of of John Bones Jones, arguably the greatest of all time. So that's taking place on March the 5th. So I'm sure we'll revisit Kempi's Combat Corner before then. There's a few bits and pieces to talk about. But um, in terms of numbered events, we, uh, we, we await the return of the GOAT. So um, yeah, fantastic show, fantastic card. And uh, thank you for tuning into Kempi's Combat Corner. Thank you, Kemp. Look forward to hearing that over the next couple of weeks. As well, in just a few moments' time, we'll be discussing the second round of fixtures in the Darts Premier League and the second weekend in the Six Nations. Welcome back to episode 30 of Loaded Sport. Now, we are going to be talking about the Darts Premier League, but just before we do, we're going to review the Six Nations. The second weekend of action took place this past weekend, and whilst this upcoming weekend they do get a break, Ireland go into the break at the top of the uh, the league. Ireland beating France 32-19. A lot of people thought that this was going to be the decisive game so early on in the competition as well that whoever won would go on to win the Six Nations. Kemp, you was also a big supporter of Ireland walking away uh, with the trophy at the end of this tournament. A 32-19 win, a very convincing win against a very strong French side. More convincing than I thought. You know, I, I thought it, it was between Italy and France for the Six Nations this season. I thought that before the Six Nations started, based on their form, based on how they've been playing and what they've been doing. Um, but yeah, they were dominant. <laughs> you know, they, they, they beat them 32-19, a, a bit of a canter in the end. And I don't think there's any stop in Ireland now. They've got Italy next, which Italy are obviously the whipping boys of the uh, of the Six Nations and have been for a very long time. And at that point, you know, for Ireland, it's it's a case of can they win the Triple Crown? Can they beat Scotland? Can they beat Wales? Can they beat England? Uh, all in the Six Nations. So, yeah, I think Ireland have pretty much got it wrapped up and that's kind of what we discussed. I think that's the biggest problem with the Six Nations as a format and as a, as a, as a competition. You know, we're two weeks in and is anybody going to back against Ireland winning it now? I, I highly I doubt so. it. So, yeah. you know, you're two weeks into a, a, a five-week competition and you already know pretty much who's going to win. So it kind of takes the excitement out of it a little bit, but, you know, um, I, all credit to Ireland. Like I say, I thought they were going to win it before the uh, before the tournament started, and it looks as though they're definitely going to move on to, uh, to win it now. So congratulations to Ireland, and I suppose all we can hope for is that England can spark an upset maybe at some point, but, you know, with the mm. way we've been playing, I mean, we beat Italy, but... You know, I think if me, I think if us boys chucked our shorts on, we'd probably have a good chance. Oh. <laughs> it's a later playing at the moment, so um, yeah, Ireland looking like they're going to win. 
and let's hope as England fans or England countrymen that want, you know, all our international teams to do well, that we beat the Welsh and give a good account of ourselves coming towards the back end of the tournament. Yeah, yeah Clark, you put a short and sweet comment in the uh, Lower Sport Community Forum. Just put update on the on the rugby. Ireland look, looking like the real deal and bloody hell, how good are Scotland looking? Obviously with the... Uh, Fantastic win they also pulled out. So, yeah, just a brief comment. I thought I'd give him a little shout-out because I'm always asking him. I know absolutely nothing about rugby, so he's he's normally my go-to guy when it comes to Six Nations. Yeah, no, 100%. Great yeah, to and, and he's, he's absolutely well. spot-on about Scotland as well because they beat Wales 35-7. And Drubbing. I don't think anybody was expecting Wales to maybe beat Scotland after the performance they put in against Ireland, which, again, it wasn't great. You know, I think they are a bit of an ageing team, Wales, from what I know and from what I've heard. And there's a few players in there that they probably, like I said last week, should sort of take 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 them around the back of the shed with, with a shotgun like old Yeller. <laughs> but um, it, it, it was a su- surprising result in that respect because Scotland absolutely wiped the floor with them. And it was a close game against England and we're not at our best. So... Very, very disappointing for Wales, but it's a good sign for England. And, you know, if Scotland can beat France, then maybe the tournament is still on. We'll see. But congratulations to Scotland as well as Ireland. Yeah, very convincing. 35-7 win against Wales, like you just mentioned there, Kemp. It brings us on nicely to discuss the Sunday game, uh, the final game of round two. England 31, Italy 14. Now, before we started, the Six Nations tournament started, Sam, you pointed out about England had a change of management. Your thoughts on how that's starting to be implemented into the game and just how England lost the first game. No one really thought England were going to pull up any trees at the Six Nations this year. Weren't going to be as competitive the likes of Ireland and France and Scotland are clearly showing themselves as well but a nice 31-14 win against Italy to get uh, the momentum going a little bit in that changing room yeah Italy are the sort of team the the, the tune-up games aren't they your bread and butters they've always been the whipping boys of the Six Nations bless them um, you've, you've got to be beating them and they have done um, yeah in terms of new manager it, it were never going to be um, an overnight job I don't think there's a lot of, lot, lot of changes that needs to happen in that England team Um and yeah, the first game you, you could you, you could see that they just they, they, they weren't at the races at all. Obviously, they've, they've turned to, to turn a slight corner in Italy, um, but I, I still think there's there's a hell of a long way to go. You, you put in a real test against them, and and I I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle England in the rest of the rest of Six Nations. Myself. Okay, um, we'll be looking at the Six Nations a week on Thursday as we start to preview round three. Of course, no fixtures for this weekend. We do turn our attention now to. Uh, Darts Premier League and the fact that the second round of fixtures, the second tournament took place in Wales last Thursday and it saw Gerwin Price walk out victorious in the final with a 6-3 win over Nathan Aspinall. We'll start by speaking to you about that, Kemp, because I know you, uh, I think you backed Gerwin Price to win it all, didn't you? I did, I did, and I'll uh, obviously stick by that, and I'm I'm quite happy with that pick. He's, he's got a second, you know, night two of the Premier League. It's it's important, and I think it was very important for Gerwin Price to get the win this week in his home city. Um, anybody who, who watches or knows anything about professional wrestling will will know that Bret Hart back in the day, um, Besser is Besser was Besser ever will be, was a massive massive bad guy when he wasn't in Canada. 
Um, and then when he went to Canada, he was the biggest good guy in the world. And Gerwin Price is is Dart's answer to Bret Hart, most definitely. In Cardiff, he's the biggest baby face known to mankind. They they love him to bits, but anywhere else on the circuit, and he gets booed out of the building. So I think it was very important for Gerwin Price to get the win, and a little bit of momentum, especially winning in his hometown. And he certainly did. The quarterfinals, Michael Smith, the world champion, beat Johnny Clayton 6-3. Nathan Aspinall beat Peter Wright 6-3. Peter Wright looks like he's, you know, struggling to get a little bit of momentum. He went out in the first, in the quarterfinal on night one. He's gone out in the quarterfinal on night two. So maybe worth keeping an eye on Peter Wright as well. Gerwin Price beating Chris Doby 6-5, which was, you know, a pretty, pretty close game in the quarterfinals, but managed to squeeze through there. And Michael Van Gerwin <clears throat> beating Dimitri van der Berg 6-4. So they were the quarterfinals. Um, Michael Smith, the world champion again, losing four to six against Nathan Aspinall and Gerwin Price, beating uh, the consensus uh, favourite for the tournament, Michael Van Gerwin, in the semi-final. And then we got to the final where Nathan Aspinall lost against Gerwin Price, as you mentioned, Gerwin running away with a 6-3 comfortable win in the end to uh, to take the night two crown and win the prize money and the Cardiff show. So, well done, Gerwin Price. Thank you very much for getting yourself on a on a decent footing. And uh, and fingers crossed, Gerwin Price can ride this wave and keep this momentum going forward and uh, and and do me justice with my pick. So yeah, great uh, great night of action. Couple of very close games, both involving Gerwin Price in the end, quarters and semis. But uh, yeah, Gerwin Price coming away with it. Is there anything more typical of a loaded sport prediction than the standings for the Premier League at the moment? Chris Dobie, who Sam's predicted, Gerwin Price, who Kemp's predicted, and Michael Van Gerwin, who Skin's predicted, three of the only four people to have got five points so far this season. The guy that I've predicted, Peter Wright, second bottom, one of only two people with zero points that's, so that's far. What you call, that's what you call on trend. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Just keeping in rhythm. Why, why I wish break? I could say I was surprised. I wish I could. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, Sam, you was away, unfortunately, last weekend. Glad to hear you're feeling better so far Thank this you. week. Um, but we didn't get your opinion on Chris Dobie. Of course, he went in as mm. a huge outsider, the least favourite, the uh, lowest ranked as well. Probably going for more of an upset when you picked him as your guy to go and win uh, the entire of, oh, of, of the Premier League. Lost 6-5 to eventual winner this week, a girl in price. The week before, though, walked away as winner. What's your thoughts on him uh, winning against MVG in the final and then falling in the uh, quarterfinals to go in price? Yeah, brilliant. I, I did mention the week before that, obviously, I watched his first uh, live televised event when he, he won the Masters prior. And he just looked classy, looked smooth. Um, and yeah, the, the previous week when he won the Premier League, it were just absolutely outstanding. But I'm going to skim over that because, like you say, it's already been spoken about. As for this week, I think it was uh, it just come up against a, a bit of a bus soaring game in Price. It, Price, you put putting anyone in front of him with that Cardiff backing, and and he was beating anyone on the night. And like you say, it's six five, so he's, he's, he's not put any kind of poor show out. He's, he's just, I just think he's come unfortunate that he's drew Price at that stage because I think Price were going to win that. Um, that night before the night had even started, so yeah, by by no means um, disheartened by that that defeat for him. I'm I'm still backing him. Like I said, I think he's still top just uh, after after the second week. So yeah, I'm I'm going to stick by uh, Chris Dober the uh, the Geordie for him to, to keep cracking on. Well, uh, hopefully we'll stick in the rhythm of people winning in their uh, home nation as this Thursday. 
week three, go or night three as it's known as, uh, sees them travel to Glasgow. So hopefully Peter Wright can uh, walk out with a win for mm. me there and I can start to close the gap on where you guys have currently uh, got your predictions. But that's it for the Darts Premier League and the Six Nations for this week. On Thursday, we'll start to preview uh, night three of the Darts Premier League. In just a moment's time, we'll be back to uh, conclude the final game of the NFL season, and that is Super Bowl 57. Welcome back to episode 30 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start to review Super Bowl 57 and what a night it was from start to finish. And I dare say, despite only watching the uh, the, the sport for four years, I've just concluded my fourth year, it is without a doubt the best game I've seen for a Super Bowl. I know you guys might find a different one having watched it for a little bit longer, but for me... The game itself, from start to finish, despite how it may have ended from the Chiefs' side of things, you know, taking the knee and, and, of course, taking the field goal with eight seconds left. Other than that, the game itself was absolutely phenomenal, mm-hmm. and it was something that I uh, very much enjoyed. And before we do go any further, I think I've just got to say well done to Kemp, who, when we discussed it on Thursday, predicted the Chiefs to win by three, and that's exactly what they did. And he even threw in Travis Kelsey as an anytime touchdown scorer, which nice. naturally... He did. So uh, well done for that, Kemp. Your thoughts on uh, on the game? Yeah, it was great. It was uh, a game of two halves for me. Um, and we'll not sort of skip over the halftime show because I wasn't very good at all. But yeah, the, the Eagles came out like a bat out of hell and I expected them to, to be fair. They've, they've been, <clears throat> you know, um, unstoppable uh, this season so far. And they, they certainly looked unstoppable in the first half. Um they they came out. They were bright. They were positive. They they they. Yes, it was only in the first quarter uh, seven to the Eagles and seven to the Chiefs, but they looked dangerous um, on offense. They looked creative, um, and, and I thought you know when they started, I thought you know steady on because during the national anthems, Sirianni, the Eagles coach, was pretty much crying his eyes out. I thought Jalen Hurts was feeling the pressure of the moment. Mudge didn't quite agree, but, you know, it won't do, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I thought they, they started very brightly. And um, and Kansas City had to, to match their energy, which which they did. But in the second quarter, the Eagles um, scored 17 points in the second quarter. And, you know, you're looking at that and thinking, you know, can the game get away from you there? Because 17 points in the second quarter, seven in the first, and, you know, you're putting yourself in a very, very good position. Um, but the the Chiefs answered back just before half time. They got another seven, very consistent in the first three quarters, the Chiefs were, but the first two, I think the Eagles were, were on top. Um, showing a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger and, and playing like they they, they, they they belong there. And they they most certainly did. Second half, I think the Eagles, in, especially in the third quarter, um, it was a strange one. They looked like they, I don't know, maybe went in at half time, And I don't, I don't want to say got complacent, but, you know, they came out in the third quarter and just didn't look the same. They, they, they didn't look as though they'd got, they, they were as creative, as free-flowing. I think half time came at the worst possible time for the Eagles in the end. It took away all the momentum they built up in the first two quarters, and they only scored three points in the third quarter, which um, 
which which isn't which isn't great as we know. Um, and then in the in the fourth quarter, the Chiefs re- replicated what the Eagles did in the second, and and every single drive, the Chiefs looked so dangerous at every point. You know, they were hitting their targets. They were they were getting first downs, check downs, running plays. Uh, Pacheco, um, who is the sort of a, a lesser known running back who came in to replace Edwards Elaire. Um, had a fantastic game and and the the Chiefs' defence were were absolutely outstanding as well. But I think the biggest thing for me, the two big things for me, before the game started, I had the Chiefs winning. And the reason I had the Chiefs winning was because of the the, the experience that Andy Reid has and the play-calling ability that that he has. And we definitely saw that, but... You know the O line was absolutely phenomenal. You know the, the the Eagles have got a fantastic defensive line, but you know the O line they didn't allow one sack the entire game. It was an outstanding performance from them, an outstanding performance from Mahomes once again. Two rings by the age of twenty seven. It's not too bad, and uh, and the Chiefs walk away with with the win in in the Vince Lombardi Trophy. So it was a fantastic game. It wasn't, I don't think it was the best game I've ever seen. I, I am going to have to award that to the Patriots and the Falcons, but it was a fantastic game and um, a credit to both teams because neither of them disgraced themselves. Yeah, I think the uh, the Patriots Falcons game is something that I've I've not seen, so I'm going to have to uh, stick with my guns on saying this one for me. I agree with you with the old uh, play calling situation, and it surprises me that there was no sacks on either side. I know you mentioned that um, the Eagles didn't get a sack, which was obviously credit to what the Chiefs had done with their O line. But on the opposite side of things, the amount of time that uh, Jalen Hurts had got in the pocket and then, of course, it led to him getting three rushing touchdowns, which within itself is absolutely phenomenal, especially at a Super Bowl, his first Super Bowl. It shows a lot of promise for him and a lot of promise for what the Eagles have got coming up as well, doesn't it? It does. You know, Jalen Hurts getting that that, that three, um, three rushing touchdowns. I mean, Jesus, you know, that's outstanding from from anybody's uh, by anybody's measure by anybody's standard you know he's 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 a young quarterback he's got a, a very very bright future but in the game he proved that he wasn't just a a rushing quarterback he wasn't just a one trick pony some of the plays you know the throw down the sideline i think was it for um, aj brown that the or was it Devontae you know, smith Devontae Smith, the one down, you know, really, really deep down the left-hand sideline. And Devontae Smith, his momentum, unfortunately, took him out of bounds. Could have easily gone into the, uh, the the end zone and scored the touchdown there. But, you know, best QB sneaker in the league, I think. And that helps with a great offensive line. But every time they, they got to the one-yard line, it was almost sort of automatic that they were going to get the first down because, you know, the QB sneak was there all night. He's a very strong, powerful guy. Squats 600 pounds, which is ridiculous. Um but he's mobile as well, and he's he's got good pocket presence, good passer. You know, he's got all the makings of a of a good quarterback. But now, and this is what the Super Bowl will have delivered for him. He just needs that experience in that big moment, and hopefully, you know, after that game yesterday, that's exactly what he's got. So whilst Jalen Hurts obviously has that bit more of experience now from losing his first Super Bowl, Mahomes on the opposite side of things, this is his third Super Bowl, he's won two now, lost one. Sam, I'm going to ask you first of all, just how much this does for Mahomes' legacy, because a lot of people have been talking about the potential of him one day uh, taking, uh, surpassing what Tom Brady's done. Some people saying that he could maybe get towards that point, but on the big stage he's bottled it. What's your thoughts now that he's gone ahead and won it? Well, he's, he's certainly on that trajectory, isn't he? he um, the, the one thing that, that I think will hamper him 
long term is Andy Reid's health. I don't think he's going to be around for the next 10 years. I think he's probably got maybe three years in him. So I, I think when that partnership breaks, I think that's that's where Mahomes' dynasty, dynasty might finish. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. You, you don't know. But yeah, in terms of this current win, it's um, it's put him right on that path uh, alongside Brady as one of the greats he, he could well turn out to be. Um, I think that's three MVPs, two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs at the age of 27. That's, that's so good. So fucking good, that is. And yeah, uh, just didn't waver, did he? he? He played most of this um, this whole playoff thing on on a on a badly sprained high high ankle sprain. And I, I, I kept saying all the way through the the playoffs, if they do go on to win this this particular year, you'll look back on it. It'll be like a legacy, a legacy run. This is this this is the sort of run they're showing when they're in Canton and you're getting your your gold jackets, playing through adversity. And it's shown it's shown so much grit. It took a it took a hell of a hit yesterday, and it looked like he'd aggravated the same ankle. He was back to playing on one leg for a little bit, and he just uh, he, he grinned and bared it through. They definitely got let off with that flag at the end, but I don't. I think the Eagles had already fucked fucked it up at that point. As Kent mentioned, I think in the third, he said they'd only scored three three points, so they've only got themselves to blame in that aspect. That the the they, they chipped away and chipped away. Uh, the Chiefs did, and yeah, like like Kemp said, rightfully so. That Andy Reid's experience in them in them big moments just paid dividends, and and Holmes is reaping the rewards from that. And now I've been thinking yesterday since I got back from watching the Super Bowl, um, and I've thought about this, and I think as much as I said that I want the Eagles to win, and and for Mudge more than anything, I did want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. I thought they were the stronger side. But now I'm looking back on it and thinking that maybe the Eagles needed to lose that because you've got to think that sometimes teams and players can learn more from losing a game than winning. And over the season, Hurts only lost one game as a starter, didn't he? I think it was, they were 16-1 and one or, or something along those lines when Hurts mm. was starting in the regular season. So that record within itself is outstanding. I think he, they needed to lose that to kind of bring them back to that normality that, you know, teams can beat them and it is, it is, they're not unstoppable, if that makes sense. They're a very strong side, very young side. They've got a couple of experienced heads in there as well, some that may be moving on at the end of this season. They're in a very good position. I think they've got the number 10 pick in this year's draft. So I think they needed to lose it to set themselves up for what they can move on to next, if that makes sense. I get, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure I agree. They're the sort of loss you take in a regular season where you're on an eight-game winning streak and you lose one that you maybe shouldn't lose and then all of a sudden you kind of recalibrate. Yeah, I think losing the Super Bowls is a bit of a bitch to lose. Uh, there's absolutely no guarantee they're ever going to get there again. Let's be fair. The, the talent they've got, and I know they're a young side, they're going to re-sign a lot of players. They've also got quite a lot of old players. Look at that offensive line. I know they've got Jordan Mailato. He'll be there for years to come. But um, obviously, Kelsey, centre, um, Taylor, the Lane Taylor, is it? Lane, Lane Johnson. Johnson. Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson, sorry. Lane Johnson, the the tackle. Um, they're, they're not going to be there for the next probably two years. Maybe even this time. They may retire, so there's no guarantee whatsoever that they're going to get there again within the next two, three years. I mean, look at the Bengals. They they bounced straight. They did well, actually, to bounce straight back, and, and even they didn't quite make it. So, no, I, I disagree to an extent with you saying they might, they might have needed to. I, I don't think you can ever take a Super Bowl for granted. You've, you've just got to, you've got to put everything on the line for that. And to be fair, they did. I thought... Um, 
thought Hurts was excellent yesterday, bar that one really, really bad fumble where he tried to put the ball into his from from his left to his right and it's just completely like a bar of soap. But yeah, I, I, I disagree with the to to a certain extent, but I, I do get where you're coming from. I meant it more as I, I don't think that they obviously should have lost it. I think it's more of a they'll have learned a lot from this having lost it that the next time they get there I think they're going to be in a much stronger position regardless of the opposition than they were heading into this yeah. game with the Chiefs and I, I was one of those people that thought you know the Eagles all in all had the better side than than what the Chiefs had they've got better wide receivers um I felt that they've got a, a stronger defensive line as well um but neither side let in. Didn't turn sack, up, though, so... did they? Didn't turn up. That's what I'm saying. When, when you're saying the next time they get there, my argument is they may not. They may not get back there. Yeah. Look at look at. I don't want to make it about Green Bay, but look at Rogers. The fucking the saying one of probably the most talented man to ever throw the ball has made one Super Bowl appearance. So when they won that, it was relatively early in his career. I think he might have been the same age as Mahomes is now, about 27 ish. And when they won that, they thought the Packers were set for it to create a dynasty. It never happened. So let don't t- ever take it for granted that if a team makes it a Super Bowl, they're going to come right back yeah. because it just doesn't happen like that. No, no, that that's fair. One of the first things I was told was actually by Skinner, and that's the side that makes the Super Bowl more often than not does not make it the following year. It's more often than not two separate teams than what that what uh, what played the year before. And as far as I'm concerned, the NFC and the competition in the NFC, based upon this year alone, has is, is pretty much been the Niners or the Eagles and there needs to be a lot of changes from a lot of sides if anyone else is going to compete on the same level as those two but I get what you're saying you can't take it for granted there's always a small team though there's always a small I mean look at Jags this year for in the AFC and you, I'm looking at someone like the a Bears maybe someone that's I mean look how much they've got to spend they've got the number one pick they've got absolutely fucking bucket loads to spend in free agency yeah. so it's going to be a, it's going to take a team like that that's going to come up through and, and disrupt the apple cart and can't believe as a Packers fan I am saying this, but it's going to take a Chicago Bears or, or someone that's not on anybody's radar at the minute to come in and you know might, might finish with 10 wins. You just don't know. Yeah, and we've got plenty of time to be talking about because although the Super Bowl has finished, we haven't finished talking about the NFL. We'll, of course, be looking at the free agency and, of course, draft season. I'm pretty sure at the moment, while Skin's not with us at the moment to go through uh, the review of the Super Bowl, he's sat reading at least a dozen uh, mock drafts preparing himself. He's going to be the Peter Schrager of this group, isn't he, when it comes to uh, discussing the mock drafts down the line. Um, want to talk about the MVP, the Super Bowl MVP. Now, on the night, we spoke about who should have got this and the expectation that this was going to go with Patrick Mahomes. Naturally, it did go with Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think he's one of only a select few players that has won the regular season MVP, the uh, Super Bowl MVP and the Super Bowl all in the same year. Um, I think that's correct. Or on multiple occasions, that might be the stat. Um, your thoughts on Mahomes getting uh, MVP, and, and where do you think that should have gone if not him? Uh, I think it's probably about right, actually. Um, at one point in the ma- uh, in the game, it did look like um, was it Boston at Bolton. the uh, at Bolton on, on the, the defensive back for the Chiefs, who just seemed to be absolutely everywhere, and they were behind for a lot of it. And we kept saying, if the Chiefs do come back here, he's got to be in contention. I think if that uh, that fumble recovery for a touchdown, if that had counted, I think it would have been nailed on for him to get it. But I just think it needed to probably make a couple more plays for him to get that, and I can't really see anybody else that's uh, that's dethroning Mahomes for that. Uh, that's it's a it's a it's a massively QB heavy award, which I don't agree with. But yeah, I, th- I think the the stat line from Mahomes it was very quite conservative, but just three touchdowns 
182 yards. Uh, you, you know, it's it's very conservative performance, but he um, he just didn't flap. And I think the fact that he was playing hurt as well probably went went towards it. So I, I can't really fault him for getting the uh, Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. Uh, Kemp, my next question's for you. Sam, you mentioned yesterday that more off... In fact, it, it's pretty much unheard of that a player on the losing side gets the MVP uh, it, just, it doesn't the happen. It just categorically doesn't it happen. It categorically doesn't happen. If there's ever an argument for why a player on a losing side could get the uh, the Super Bowl MVP, Kemp, you've bigged up Jalen Hurts so far. He, he's given a very good shout, hasn't he? <sighs> it's a difficult one because, again, it's 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 a, is it a moot point? Is it a conversation that doesn't need to happen because it just will never happen? Um, you know, you you can't. Yes, Jalen Hurts has played well. Don't get me wrong, but. He did make that fumble. They did score only three points in the third quarter. He still has got a lot to learn. You know, you'll look at him and he's a prototypical. He's a fantastic, you build a quarterback from the ground up and it looks like Jalen Hurts. He can run, he can pass. He's got great pocket presence. He's strong. You know, I mentioned them QB sneaks. You know, there's no way of stopping it. If, If the Eagles get one yard from the first down, they're in. It's a first down. You might as well just pack it up and just let them have a first down straight away. Um, again, is it a moot point? You know, again, Jalen Hurts played really well, but it's not for me a case that Jalen Hurts played well that they should be considered MVPs on the losing side because they lost. And in in the Super Bowl, it's not, you know, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is how QB heavy it is. I, I agree with Sam that Mahomes is the right, you know, the, the right uh, candidate and the, the right person to get it this season. Um, I think Adelman got it for the Patriots a few years back and Von Miller maybe for the Broncos. Cup got it last year, didn't he? Cup got, did Cup get it last year Cup as well? Year. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you know, it does happen. It has happened and, and I think it's right that it's happened. I think there needs to be more consideration for non-QBs in some aspects because a lot of the time it is the quarterback that does get the the MVP, but ultimately the quarterback is the most important player on the pitch. So you can have this discussion till the cows come home. But again, it's like Sam said, winning an MVP when you're on the losing team, it's just, it's never going to happen. No matter how well you play, you could get a QBR of 150 and, you know, make five you know, six, seven touchdowns. But if you don't win the game, then you ain't going to be the Super Bowl MVP. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair assessment. Lads, thanks for joining me to go through uh, the review of Super Bowl 57. I look forward to uh, free agency and, of course, the mock drafts that will be going up onto uh, the Loaded Sport website, which is loadedsport.co.uk, over the next couple of weeks as we prepare for the draft taking place in April. Um, of course, this will be released on Tuesday evening. Then we'll have the preview show on Friday. Looking forward to uh, the weekend sport in action. But Kemp, Sam, thanks a lot for going through it with me this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, matey.